What's up, pimps? It's your boy, Stonkman. I am present with almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing Jesus Christ. Oh, loaded, 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 loading Savior, God. What up, God, motherfucker? Football's back, back in action. Happy September. Hope you guys are ready. Football is here. The king of the American sports. And if you're not American and you take exception with me saying the term football, go fuck yourself. It's football all day, baby. Know what it's about. We yeah, in this I mean, motherfucker. Football is like one of the greatest American sports here. And people want to call it soccer. They got these, this European thing. But uh, this is a good story about football. You know, I bought a uh, Patrick Mahomes card maybe about three, four years ago for about 100 bucks. Now it's worth about 2500 to $3,000. So, you know, you got to invest in sports cards. You got to know what you're doing here. Invest in sports cards and uh, get involved in sports. Don't be a, an L nerd. Yeah, sports cards are dope. I have uh, another Patrick Mahomes, but not the same one that you have. You have the uh, Donruss rated rookie Patrick Mahomes. That's the blue background. He's got the one with the little D on it. He doesn't have the O. The O is the optic. The optic goes for a little bit more, but it's still a great buy. He's got that's a hell of an buy, especially I don't know about he that. bought it what three four years ago. He said so. That's a good R. I don't know about that. I'm I got the Don Rush because I am the Don. I don't know about the optic, you know. Well, you might be the Don. You might be Don the Don, Rush, but yeah. I'm the Don. I'm the Don Dada. So that's what you got to know. But anyway, no, the uh, the Donruss cards are really good. If you're into sports cards, you got to go Donruss and you got to get rated rookie. Um, mostly buy quarterbacks. Don't buy running backs. Running backs have like maybe five or six years in their prime. And unless the guy turns into Jim Brown, the card's not going to go up that much. Same thing with receivers. Receivers kind of come and go. Uh, but it's mostly the quarterbacks that do pretty well. Big market quarterbacks. Um, I recently bought a Brady rookie. I bought a 2000 uh, Tom Brady Skybox rookie. And that was a little expensive. I think that one was about like maybe almost two grand when I bought it. And now it's probably worth about three and change. The last sale I saw was about 31 or 3200 So that's pretty cool. Um, then I have the Jeter rookie. I got the Shaq rookie. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a whole bunch of rookies. So John Morantz, for all you basketball people out there, got two of those. So, you know, the card, the card market's good. It, it, it's a good investment. Obviously, you don't get any cash flow from it. It's more speculative, but it's kind of like art. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with the card market. And football's back, which is great. We love football. But the reason I bring up football is that Forbes actually just released their top 50 most valuable franchises. And this list is 50 of the most valuable franchises in the entire world, right? So this includes American football teams, MLB teams, NBA teams. This includes all you Euro bozos. This is Barclay Premier League teams. This is Euro Cup teams. This is fucking everything. Uh, so you'd think like in terms of, you know, soccer clubs, you think about Chelsea, you think about Man U, you think about Man City, you think about PSG, all these clubs that are worth a ton of money. And all 32 NFL teams were ranked on that list, which is astonishing. So you're talking about 32 out of the 50? Here, let me check the math on this. This is probably not. It's probably like well, you know why, right? 64% of the list. There you go. You know I just what? did the math, and I guessed it at the same time. Fucking crazy. 64% you know of so the valuable, top right? 50. Why are they so valuable? 
because when you look at other sports like the NBA, baseball, and everything like that, they have guaranteed contracts. NFL is one of the only sports without guaranteed contracts. So they should be valued more since they can just get rid of their players on a dime. And there's no liabilities, basically, if their players get hurt or injured like there is in the NBA and their ML- MLB. So I, w- I would pay more for a uh, NFL franchise knowing that I could just cut somebody on the whim and I don't have that liability there and as a uh, detriment to my revenue. That's a really good point. But at the same time with the NFL, it, it depends on the position. Uh, obviously, it depends on your skill level. If you're a quarterback, like most quarterbacks in the NFL, even if they're like decent quarterbacks, they all pretty much get guaranteed contracts. Receivers, not so much. Receivers, it's like half guaranteed. And then running backs, it's like a quarter of the time. It's guaranteed. So usually like if a running back signs a big deal, he'll only get like a quarter of the money. And then he'll get a lot of money in like workout bonuses and um, in terms of like milestone bonuses, like, you know, like a performance bonus. But the quarterbacks get guaranteed money. Like Deshaun Watson signed that like $235 million deal with the Browns, and that was fully guaranteed. And I know Lamar Jackson's negotiating his deal as well, and his deal is going to be pretty big too, I would think. But he kind of took a huge risk. Like he's basically just betting on himself this season. He's pretty much sitting there like, oh, I hope that I fucking don't get hurt, and I hope that I just light it up so I sign a crazy deal. So that should be interesting to watch. That's something that – uh we're going to get to see transpire and we're going to see if him betting on himself is going to pan out because apparently he didn't have an agent either for his deal. He was just straight up negotiating his own deal because I guess he doesn't want to give an agent 10% of, you know, 200 million or whatever the fuck the contract value would be at, but he's looking for fully guaranteed money. And apparently the Ravens are not looking to give him that, even though uh, Steve Biscotti, the owner, he, he definitely has got the money for it. He's that guy's fucking loaded. So it's interesting to see. Yeah, I believe they offered him uh, five years, $230 million, uh, the Ravens, and he declined it. He turned it down, and he basically is betting on himself. It's kind of like uh, the Aaron Judge situation when you look at it. At the, at the beginning of the year, the Yankees um, offered him a contract, and he turned it down also. But it, it, it looks like it's going to pan out for uh, Aaron Judge. So we're going to have to see uh, throughout the season if it's going to pan out for Lamar Jackson. It looks like he's doing good. The first game of the season, the Ravens won. Uh, he, he had a pretty good game. So we're going to see. Uh, if it turns out and pans out for him, hopefully it does. I think that Jackson's been uh, kind of talking about some of this stuff on Twitter. It's sort of like a he he said, she said situation. But apparently he responded to a fan who tweeted and mentioned him and said, uh, oh, you know, he was offered $230 million guaranteed. He turned it down. And Jackson was like, they never offered me that. So, you know, he's trying to say they didn't offer him that. The Ravens are trying to say otherwise. So we don't really know the details of everything. But to be fair, if anything does get leaked and it's something that he wants to get out, you know it's him leaking it because he doesn't have any agents or representatives. So it's either him or someone in his camp, like his family or you know, maybe someone he's like uh, very closely friends with or like a confidant. So it's very interesting when that stuff kind of comes out because teams will leak shit and they'll try to make the guy look like a dick. And they'll be like, oh, this guy's a diva. Like, he doesn't want to play football. Fuck him. And they'll kind of do that to, like, have some leverage in negotiation. So, but some guys don't care. Like, they just play into it. Like, Darrell Rivas, the, you know, renowned corner for this for the Jets. And he also won a Super Bowl with the Patriots when they played uh, the Seahawks. But Rivas was kind of like that. Rivas didn't give a fuck. Like, he was like, oh, I want everyone to know I'm a businessman first. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm, I'm getting my money, and I don't care. So... Some guys will play into it, and some guys, they really 
do care. So it's interesting to see. But I think Lamar, I tend to kind of believe him because I don't really see a reason for him to lie. And he, he's made it like abundantly clear. He, you know, he's there to play football. He, he's not uh, as much as he wants to sign a big deal and he wants to get paid. I think that if they make him a really fair offer, he'll stick around. I can't see him leaving the Ravens, especially with like how well that organization's ran. I don't see it happening. Yeah, I tend to believe you there. I don't think they offered him um, the $230 million because that, that comes out to like $46 million a year. And I think Patrick Mahomes, he's only getting – I think he got to sign a 10-year $450 million contract, so he's getting 45 a year. So he, uh, basically Lamar Jackson would be getting paid more than Patrick Mahomes, and they're not even on the same caliber uh, of a quarterback. So I don't think they would offer him that. But then again, it the salary cap does go up every year. And, you know, you often see these differences between uh, quarterbacks that are much better. They get paid less than the people who are signing the new contract. So maybe it is. So I don't know how uh, the NFL salary cap has gone up over the years and how it's changed. Yeah, so how much is that Deshaun Watson contract? Uh, oh, here we go. Five-year, $230 million. So that would be $46 million a year. And then he got a $45 million signing bonus. I'm looking on Spotrack right now. Spotrack is great for looking at these contracts. That's what I'm saying. Wasn't Patrick Mahomes' is 450 for 10? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it doesn't really make what you have to understand. What you have to understand is that the first guy to sign that contract, he sets the market, and then basically everyone else that's a franchise quarterback has to get paid as much as that guy, if not more. So that's how it works. Like you have to understand Mahomes signed that contract. He was kind of the first guy in that wave to sign. And then after that, then it was Watson and then a couple of these other guys, Murray and so on and so forth. Russell Wilson, that signing obviously affected a lot of things. So it's interesting to see. I mean, that's kind of bullshit though. If, if that was the case, right? Right. What I would do if I was an NFL quarterback, I would just keep shining um, short-term deals. Then I would just bet on my, I wouldn't sign these long-term deals because I would have other people reset the market instead of me because like Patrick Holmes is getting massively screwed now on this deal because you got all these quarterbacks that, you know, aren't even as good as him or even as close to being as good as him getting paid much more than, than he's getting paid. And that's what a lot of the top guys do, especially outside of football and the NBA specifically. We see this all the time. LeBron historically has never really committed to a long-term deal. He would typically, he's never signed a five-year deal. He would typically sign two-year deals with a player option for the third year. And then if the salary cap went up, he'd fucking, he'd opt out. And if it kind of was stagnant, he'd opt in. And then that was it. So really what in LeBron's case, what he was betting with that like player option after two or three years is he's pretty much just betting that the salary cap wouldn't remain stagnant or go down in back-to-back -back years. And historically he's been right. So he's been able to maximize his contract values by not locking himself in long-term. Uh, the NFL is a little different with that. I don't know if there's necessarily player options like that. But I'm sure that you could easily just sign like a two or three year deal. And then when the salary cap inevitably goes up, you know, you get paid more proportionately. So, I mean, I don't see any reason why you'd lock yourself in for five years unless you really were one of those guys where you are, you were like, oh, I really need the money. Or, you know, you just wanted to put yourself in a position where you didn't want to have to worry about your contract all the time. I guess in that sense, it might be worthwhile. But if you you know you think like you're Patrick Mahomes, you probably had a crazy rookie deal anyway. Even if you don't make any money for the rest of your life, if you invest that wisely, like you could very easily, you know, 
get to age like 50 or 60 and have a net worth of like $200 million just from the rookie deal alone. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't like for some of these guys, I don't get it. Like why you'd lock yourself in for five years, unless you just fucking piss all your money away. I don't see a reason to do it. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I can think of why you would do something like that is it only prevents you um, in case of an injury. And if that was the case, what I would do is I'd rather take out an insurance policy with maybe like a Lloyd's of London or some kind of insurance firm to protect me if I get injured instead of like, you know, locking myself into these long-term contracts and giving up the upside there. I'd rather just insure myself um, in that regard instead of doing that. And I think it would pay off, you know, for these players better. But uh, have you, have you ever heard of the platform uh, symbol? This app called. So what is that? I don't know what that is. Oh, so like I was searching the web or whatever and i came across this app called symbol and you know this is a total total scam so what they do is you sign up for the app right and then you could deposit you know however much money you want like five ten hundred two hundred three hundred whatever you want to deposit and you basically buy these teams right so like it has nfl mlb uh nba and nhl you buy these teams and you basically own these teams and then every time the team wins um you basically get a dividend from the team. So they'll pay you like uh, a dollar uh, every time the team wins. So that will go towards your balance. And then you could basically withdraw the money. So the problem is with this situation is where is the revenue coming from uh, for these dividends, for the, for them to pay out all these dividends that these people own from their teams? It has to be coming from people buying teams. And, and they're basically funneling funds from new investors that are buying these teams and they're using it to pay out the dividends uh, to these old investors that are on the teams because there's no way you could pay a dividend if there's no revenue from the team. You're basically betting that the team wins, but how are they earning revenue from that if you own the team? So it's this massive kind of like Ponzi scheme, and I would just like avoid this uh, this app and this company overall. They say in uh, the news, and they have all this news and like uh, press releases being released, oh, they're backed by DraftKings. And they have all these uh, venture capital firms behind them. But, you know, the business model just doesn't make sense. And I think it's all a ploy and it's going to end up uh, turning into a Ponzi scheme because I don't understand where um, the revenue is coming from to pay out all these dividends to all these investors that own these teams. And it just seems like it's this kind of like fake uh, sports betting model. And they don't even have a, have a license to be uh, doing sports betting or doing uh He's like fantasy drafts. So I don't, I think this company is like totally shady. I don't know why anybody would get involved with this, but what I did was I signed up and I tried to like, you know, scheme the system. I signed up, I deposited a dollar, the minimum, and, cause they give you this free uh, team when you sign up. So I thought I could just sign up and then withdraw the money and like 16, 17 X my money. Like I put in a dollar, I could get a $20 team and then withdraw it. But then uh, when I went to do that, they said, that uh, you have to basically trade a hundred dollars worth before you can uh, withdraw the money. So then I just like took my dollar back and I and withdrew it, and then I just deleted the app because I thought I could like you know basically scam the Ponzi scheme, but it didn't work out. So I, I deposited a dollar and then withdrew the dollar. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So my main thing too is like, are they paying for the licensing rights for these teams? Like, how does that work? Are they just are they just like oh you buy like equity in the Knicks? It's like I'm pretty sure James Dolan is not selling equity in the Knicks. Like he's been pretty adamant about not selling the Knicks unless he gets like a crazy offer for them. So how does this fucking app even work? Like that doesn't make any sense. It's not like you're buying actual equity in the team. 
So how could you make money when they win? That that's just that makes no fucking sense. That's number one to me. That's the first concern I have, and I think that's pretty valid. The second concern I have is that it looks like they're buying positive reviews, allegedly buying positive reviews, because I did see that Pro Football Focus gave them some like resounding rating or whatever when I looked at this app on the App Store just now, and uh, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Pro Football Focus is like a very reputable website, uh, particularly in that like fantasy football space. So I don't know why they would put their name on something without kind of doing their homework. And the other thing is this, you know, all Ponzi schemes, when you think about them inherently, the whole system is predicated upon paying out the new people with old people's money, you know, early depositors in this case. And the way the Ponzi scheme works is that they pay out the new people and then they're able to show like a boost in revenue and then they're able to secure loans or financing and then they basically just use the loans or financing to pay out other people until the until they reach a point where they can't get any more financing or loans and then they just start taking the fucking money like from other people and then they never pay them out and they just kind of wash their hands and walk away so it'll it'll fold up shop i mean i'm pretty much convinced that this is a Ponzi scheme just from what you were telling me and just from what I'm reading now online. It, it, it appears to be very evident that there's some type of Ponzi scheme elements to this. And clearly it's just like, how are they making money? Like that's the number one question. Like how do they make money? And if your returns are, are astronomical or, you know, ridiculous for you doing nothing, there's something there. It's not like you own equity in any of these companies or, or these uh, teams. It's not like stocks where like I could buy equity in Apple and I could turn around and sell it and double my money in a couple of years. Or, you know, I could buy equity in whatever company and then tomorrow it could be more valuable and then I dump it. Like, you know, th these are not income producing assets. They're not backed by earnings. They're not even backed by physical equity in any of these franchises. So to me, it's just Ponzi scheme written all over it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It's definitely is a Ponzi scheme. There's no equity. There's nothing backing it. This is, I know you asked, like, how are they making revenue? This is how they say they're making uh, revenue to support their operations. I don't necessarily believe what they're saying, but, you know, I'm just going to give their point of view. I still believe I still believe it's a Ponzi scheme after doing some analysis on um, how they say they get revenue to pay out the dividends because it's simply not enough to pay out um, all the team's dividends and all the people that have teams on the site. So they say they pay out the dividends through trading fees. So every time you buy and sell a team on the platform, like an artificial team, because you're not actually buying and selling equity in a team, it's just like this artificial kind of equity. They take a cut of the fee um, when you sell their team. But in essence, they they pay out. Um, they only had 50, 50 million in, uh, in, in trading. And no, they only had 50,000. I'm sorry, not 50 million. That would be crazy if they had that. They only had 50,000 in trading fees and they had to make dividend payments of 600,000 last year. So they're basically $540,000 in the hole um, in their dividend payments versus their trading fees. So there you go right there. That doesn't make sense. The money has to be coming from new investors to support that. That's got to be VC money or something. There's no way. And they say they get ad revenue, but when I looked up uh, the Google Analytics and looked at the traffic, the app barely has any traffic at all. So the ad revenue can't add up to that much. There's simply like not enough ad revenue to support that. So the ad revenue, I'm not buying that. The trading fees, I'm not buying that. And, you know, it, these 
two elements of their revenue, they don't add up to the dividend payments needed in order to make this uh, successful. So simply they're taking money from new investors and paying it off to old investors. And this, this Ponzi scheme is going to collapse. I don't know when it's going to collapse, but eventually it's going to collapse when they run out of money. Yeah, and mean, this is the thing that people know, don't understand. Like Ponzi schemes can go on for like for a long yeah, period of time. Like uh, they can go on for 10, 12, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years, sometimes Ponzi schemes. And, you know, you you look around, you say, oh, like this has been going on for seven, eight, nine, ten years. It must be legit. No, like Ponzi schemes can go on longer than you think they can go on before they blow up and collapse. Well, Madoff, his Ponzi scheme went on for like, what, 20 years or something like that? I mean, it was astonishing how long it went on for. Yeah, I mean, I think it was at least 15 years. You're probably right. It was around 20 years that um, his Ponzi scheme went on. But yeah, a lot of these Ponzi schemes, they take a while for them to collapse. And yeah, Madoff, that, that's, a, that's a key, crucial point. Um, I, I don't know what's going on with Madoff. Is he, is he even still alive? He had to be. He has to be dead. Uh, he died. He died. Um, I know he died. I think one of his sons uh, killed himself. Like, uh, well, Madoff is dead. But I, I remember reading this. Like, his son, like, killed himself or something. It was, like, pretty bad. It's, like, kind of a sad situation. But, uh, no, yeah, he died uh, in in 2021. Um, they said he was he became, like, delusional in his last days. It was, like, pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, he lived in minimum security federal prison. Yeah, this is his son, by the way, Mark David Madoff. He uh, he exposed. It says his he's best known for exposing uh, his multi-billion-dollar Ponzi scheme ran by his father. So very interesting. Yeah, he uh, he killed himself at forty-six. Um, you know, it says his death. He was found dead in his apartment. I, this is pretty sad. He hanged himself from the ceiling. And it occurred on the second anniversary of his father's arrest, so which is uh, pretty sad. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah the, these Ponzi been, schemes uh, are, are fucking crazy. Like, and it's so egregious now. And I feel like people they need to wake up and fucking pay attention to what's going on. I mean, crypto really. I mean, I mean, crypto was like the biggest things, you know. And it's not all of crypto, but it's like a lot of crypto. I'd say like probably 98% of the coins and 98% of the investments are just pure fucking bullshit that you shouldn't go near. But I think crypto should have really kind of seasoned people to like identify these schemes and to be wary of them. But I don't know. I think people, they need to kind of wake up and be careful because stuff like this is around every corner. And the whole thing kind of really just reminds me of, um, that what's the uh, tether it reminds me of tether and how tether is a Ponzi scheme and they just keep minting coins and they're playing the shell game with Bitfinex and tether and moving money around. And none of the people on the board have a, like a finance background or even like a hardcore crypto background. So the whole thing just kind of reminds me of tether and like just in terms of Ponzi scheme and tether, we discussed this before, but tether, if you actually looked at the, if you actually look at the market cap of it relative to, the uh, market cap of like Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme, the tether Ponzi scheme is a lot bigger, a lot bigger. So it's pretty wild. So theoretically tether is the biggest Ponzi scheme of all time because it surpassed Madoff. Yeah. I mean, the, the Madoff story is like, is like a really interesting story. Uh, the Ponzi scheme that went on there. Um, you said earlier about how he died, right? Did you hear the story about the bed, bath and beyond? Uh, CEO or what was it CFO? 
he also died recently. I think he jumped out I of the building. That. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, about that. Yeah, that was that was some wild. Um, shit. Yeah, he basically. Yeah, he basically jumped out of. I think it was a. Uh, they called it like the Jenga Tower or whatever the building that he jumped out of. It's some it's some building in uh, Tribeca, and you know there's like uh, rumors going on about like how he died. Uh, officially, it was ruled a uh, a suicide, but like you know there's people saying oh. Uh, the stock, you know, is on the Wall Street bets. It, it was a, uh, you know, the stock's a pump and dump scheme, and there might have been some uh, hedge funds involved um, that basically didn't like what was going on with Bed Bath and Beyond. And this basically might be rumors of like that the company was committing fraud, and that's why he um, he killed himself because he didn't want to uh, basically face the consequences of the fraud that might be discovered in the near future. But yeah, I mean, Bed Bath and Beyond. Do you remember what this? Happened? Sorry to cut you off. Do you remember this? This was years ago. And this is a little a throwback story and something that hasn't really been known. But way back in the day, when me and you had an interaction and we were, you know, we're both big finance guys, both big investors. This was years ago. You probably might not remember this. But for people who don't know, there was a time where we would both kind of look at companies and we try to find value and we're both big, like value investors. And I found this one company, Chesapeake energy, and they've had, they've since gone bankrupt. Right. But at the time they were trading at like a buck 25, like a buck 50 a share. And I turned to him and I said, Hey, you should look into this company, yada, yada, yada. Icon's got a big position. People are pricing in bankruptcy. They're not going to go bankrupt. Sure enough, they don't go bankrupt at the time. They end up refinancing. Stock goes crazy. Stock goes up to like seven, eight bucks a share. Then what happens is the stock tapers down a little bit because it was announced that the SEC was going to be investigating them, right? The CEO at the time was the, a gentleman by the name of Aubrey McClendon. And Chesapeake Energy being an oil and natural gas company, was uh, subjected to these SEC investigations, particularly Aubrey McClendon himself for potential fraud within the company. Literally the next day, Aubrey McClendon takes his car and just drives into a wall and kills himself. The stock goes up and then the investigation for fraud is just dropped immediately. And then that was it. It's fucking the weirdest shit I've ever seen with a company I was personally invested in. And with someone that I know that I told to invest in it. It was the most bizarre fucking thing ever. The stock went up like 20% after the guy killed himself. Because the fraud case was dropped. If you remember that. Yeah, so that, that, that you know, adds reason to believe like maybe if, if, you, if somebody had ownership in the stock, right? And, they, and the, the guy was being investigated for fraud and it was affecting, you know, the stock price. And the market cap of the company, then you know that gives uh, credence to, to the belief that maybe um, some monetary actor, you know, would push somebody off the building. I mean, you know, it's it's a possibility. It's a slim possibility that you know, since it was ruled a suicide and such. But uh, you you all you always have to look at you know different um, possibilities and then give a probability to them, and you know believe the the situation that has the highest probability of what happened but there is a small percentage that you know this is not a uh a suicide and that this was a um you know this was a murder and and you know somebody pushed him off the building and you know um 
I think they probably investigated that and then, you know, they came to the conclusion that it was a suicide and, and maybe it was a suicide. Maybe he, there was fraud going on with the company and he couldn't handle it. It's very stressful. And you, you know, you're being put in situations like that. You're being investigated and he just couldn't handle it anymore. And he had a nervous breakdown and he committed a uh, suicide, but that's, that's the thing today though. Like a lot of people are stressed out. They have the wrong um, mindset. I think it's very important for people to have the right mindset and, Depression is co- is basically caused by yourself. You you have to be thinking about uh, different situations. Think about other people that are in worse situations than you. There's always somebody in a worse situation than you. And a lot of these people that are depressed, they think they're in the worst situation in the world and that nobody has it worse than them and that nobody can relate to them and that they're like a burden on society and they just have a terrible mindset. And I think, you know, you got to surround yourself with uh, the right people that have positive mindsets and you have to eliminate people that are negative. And don't, don't be around uh, people with negative mindsets. If people have negative mindsets, cut them out of your life. Don't talk to them because, you know, they're a burden on your on your mental health. And your brain is the most important organ in your body. You have to have a, uh, you know, a good brain and a positive mindset. Otherwise, you're going to have a rough life. You're not going to be rich. You're not going to be successful. And you're not going to have a happy life if you're uh, focusing on negativity all the time. Yeah, that's big time. Another thing, too, that a lot of people don't really talk about is, like, you got to eat pretty good. You don't have to eat perfect all the time. You don't have to eat, like, a fucking rabbit or whatever. But you got to eat pretty good. Like, you got to make sure you eat meat, you eat steak, you eat some chicken, maybe some fish. That stuff's really important. And then you have to make sure you exercise a little bit. It doesn't have to be anything particularly strenuous. But do cardio, do a little lifting. That stuff's really important, and that'll get you really happy. and. I don't know about you, but after I lift, I feel fucking energized and ready to go. So that stuff. You ain't got the answers, Sway. You ain't got the answers, Sway. What are you, Kanye? What are you talking about? You ain't got the answers, Sway. You ain't been doing education, Sway. How, Sway? How? You ain't got you ain't got the answers, Sway. Yeah, Yo, Kanye, Kanye though. Kanye just left Gap, right? Man, bro. Didn't he? Yep, he did. He's done with them. He's done with those fucking bozos. I love it. Why did he decide to leave Gap? I know that was a pretty lucrative deal, right? Wasn't he getting like some crazy royalties? Yeah, he was getting good royalties. They gave him good creative design uh, control, and and uh, I know he had equity in the company too. And he funny story with him and Gap. A lot of people don't know this. When he was coming up, and he was an artist uh, very early on, and I mean artist, you know, like a rapper. But at that point, he was more of like a producer. He came up as a producer and then became a producer rapper. But uh, he originally used to work for The Gap. So one of the first billboards and like promos they did, it was like a letter he wrote. And he was like, hey, I used to work for The Gap. This was the exact store I worked for. This is so fucking cool to be able to design shit for them and work with the company. That was like one of the first ones I worked for. You know, it's actually kind of like a cool story how he like worked there and then became like this famous uh, artist. And then obviously got into designing and then collaborated with them and made these hoodies and made a bunch of other stuff. But no, there were certain things he wanted to do and they weren't letting him do them. And then they were having these board meetings without him regarding some of like his antics and some of the designs that he had. And he felt, uh, you know, underrepresented in these meetings and, you know, rightfully so he's the main draw. He's the main guy. Gap isn't exactly a relevant company. Um, And he, you know, with some of this, that he's doing and considering the equity he had in this partnership they really should include him in the meetings and make sure that his voice is heard 
And from his perspective, I get it. He's done very well for himself. He wants to be on his own. He wants to, you know, deal with his own production. But look, the thing is, he's a good designer. He's he's very smart. He's business savvy. But I don't think he's got the mind for production. I don't, I think he's a he's got a great creative mind, but I don't know if he necessarily has a great business mind. Um, he's done well with Yeezy, uh, which is obviously the bulk of his net worth now, and him being worth you know probably close close to a north of $10 billion now uh, with how well those sneakers have sold and how well his music's done. But the reality of it is he's a great designer, but he, like I said, he's not a good businessman because if you actually look at some of the ventures he went out on his own in terms of, you know, clothing or music or whatever the case may be, he hasn't done particularly well. Um, you know, the, well, the, the easy clothing right? line. Well, the Yeezy clothing line didn't do well at all. Like it actually kind of flopped and he's, he kind of abandoned it. Um, you know, cause his designs are like very minimalist, but so people aren't going to pay three or $400 for a fucking black hoodie. They're just not going to do it or they're not going to pay that much for a sweater. You know, his margins were good, but he doesn't sell a lot of shit. That's the problem. He makes money because he does limited runs but for him to get involved with production and all this other bullshit is like, he should not be doing that. He should just stick to designing things, slapping his name on shit and selling it. That's where you really make the money. You know, especially in his case, he can do licensing deals and he can fucking put his feet up and just keep pumping out designs. That's where he'll do really well. And I think, especially in his case, like he mentioned that he wants to design buildings and He's into architecture and he wants to design like college campuses and shit like that. Go for it, dude. I, if I was him, I'd do that shit. I would design these campuses, design these buildings, whatever the case may be. Sit down with like architects, kind of work on that. And then maybe you, you sell and you kind of license. That's what I would do. But I don't think he should get involved with production. He's a creative guy. He's not a business guy, in my opinion. I mean, I'm going to have to disagree there. I think he should get involved in production. Right now, he's only getting a uh, 15% royalty on every shoe that's sold by Adidas. And if you look at, like, you know, production costs and what it costs to make a shoe, right? For This is a report that was put out by uh, Bloomberg a while ago. For a $100 shoe, on average, it costs $25 um, factory FOB cost. And then you have a freight cost and insurance $1. And then uh, $2.50 average for... Um, duty costs and customs costs. So land, the landed cost to you would be $28.50 for that $100 shoe. So that's in essence 30% um, you know, cost. So you have a 70% margin. Then you have advertising and everything like that. But the problem is these big companies, they overspend on, on uh, advertising. And you know Kanye is basically supporting the advertising for the whole entire brand of Adidas. Meanwhile, if he went out on his own, he could spend much less on advertising because he's Kanye. He could just make an Instagram post. He can make a Twitter post. He can go on, on the news. You know, everything he says is on the news. He can make a song about it. And he can eliminate the massive advertising cost that comes out of uh, these shoes that brings down um, the net profit. Because, like, a lot of these uh, companies like Adidas, 30% of their of their uh, revenue of a shoe is going towards advertising. And Kanye could cut that out. He can make basically, in essence, 60% margin on a shoe instead of the 15% royalty he's getting now. Granted, there is more risk. He has to, you know, develop the supply chain, go to either Vietnam or China and get the contracts. And it's a much easier route what he has now, just collecting the royalty because Adidas, Nike, and all of these manufacturers, they already have the supply chain set up. 
and they're skilled. They have the uh, employees and everything to set this up. And it's much harder to do it on your own. But if you're making, you know, 60, 60, 65, 70% margin versus 15, you could sell four times less shoes than you are now and make the same amount of money. So I think he would do much better if he just ventured out on his own. And I think, you know, he's probably wise for doing so. Because even if he sells half of what he's selling now, he's going to end up ahead. And the Yeezys aren't going anywhere. It's just really the pain in the ass that he's got to deal with. Like you said, he's got to find suppliers. He's got to find manufacturers. He's got to find, you know, who's his materials guy. And I'm sure he could probably poach some of these people from Adidas to kind of follow him. And he could do really well. But again, then what about the infrastructure of selling? What about warehousing? What about, you know, getting to the consumer? Like, there, there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through with this shit. And he's done very well for himself. And, uh, you know, he's obviously a billionaire because of this. But it, it just, it's a lot of work. And, you know, I think the more lucrative path is definitely going out and doing it and setting up your own little infrastructure. But he's got a lot of people that uh, he's, that are kind of standing in his way that he's got to battle through. I mean, at that point, you know, he's, he's going to battle with Adidas. He's going to battle with Nike. He's going to battle with, you know, whatever other big, uh, I guess you could say like sneaker brands are like, you know, he's going to be battling these companies. So he's got to figure it out. And I think that uh, in essence, like announcing a lot of this preemptively is pretty dumb because now these companies, I mean, they will work against you. As much money as he has, Nike has the same amount and then some. Adidas has the same amount and then some. So he's, you know, he, he's really kind of, it's really kind of silly. Like by announcing this shit preemptively, he basically put a target on his back without realizing it. But this is how he is. He's very neurotic. He says what he wants. He does what he wants. And that's that's what makes him great too, though, because a lot of people that are geniuses that are, are, are like super creative, like, they're the most neurotic fucking people. They're they're like, you know, they I always say like the, the greatness of like genius borders on the edge of like insanity. You know, some some of the most brilliant people are like fucking kooky, like they're crazy, they're super eccentric. So and he's definitely one of them. Yeah, I mean Adidas, if you look at the market cap of Adidas. It's like $25 billion. You said he was worth $10 billion with his music catalog um, um, infrastructure. He's basically worth half of what Adidas is worth. And I argue he's basically keeping Adidas alive. His Yeezy brand is, is one of you know Adidas's only main selling points. And without without Yeezy, um, Adidas... It dominates soccer. In, uh, keep, it's, soccer it's soccer and Kanye right now. That's what's keeping them alive. And Very maybe big some rappers. I know, I know some rappers are probably signed to Adidas as well. Other rappers besides Kanye, but I don't understand why these people like Kanye and even Steph Curry. Steph Curry just signed a lifetime deal with uh, Under Armour for like rumors of over a billion dollars. I don't know why these people just don't go out on their own and, and you know develop their own uh, shoe brand. I get. It. I guess I get it with Steph Curry. He's in the league. He has to focus on playing basketball. He can't set up the infrastructure. But Kanye West doesn't really. He, I, when's the last song that Kanye put out? He doesn't really make music anymore. He's focused on. Um, uh, he does. He put that song out with the game, and then he did one recently. Uh, he still makes music. He um, the he did uh, he did that song with the leftover vocals from uh, XXX Tentacion. It was like True Love. 
he puts out some singles um but he he's an album guy like he's not like drake he doesn't do an album every year or a project every year he's like an every other year type of guy but he goes through he goes through phases where he's like heavily recording and heavily editing and then and producing too and then he'll just not record for like a year and a half you know he he's like a year and a half type of guy like travis scott's like that Astro World was the last project he released, and when did that come out? Like 2018 or something like that. So, but he, he he's a different case though. He's not going to put anything out for a while until that whole tragedy that happened at his concert kind of dies out. Like once the lawsuits and everything are settled, then I think he'll probably run to release uh, Utopia or whatever project he's going to be releasing next. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely should start his own brand. I think he can do it easily. And I think what, what these companies are doing to him, Gap and Adidas alike, they're they're basically taking advantage of him. You look at some of the shoes that they're developing, it's basically the same design as the shoe he has, and they're just calling it something else so that they don't have to pay him the royalty. And, you know, it's vastly disrespectful to the creator um, what they're doing. And I think, you know, you can't let that slip. If somebody disrespects you in, in a business deal, and you have to go out and destroy them. It's not even uh, that it's much more work and, you know, you might have an easier path and you might be making this much money. Even if I made less money in that situation, which I don't think I'm going to make less money, you know, when you look at the margins and everything like that, I would just do it just to basically get back at them because they're, they're taking advantage of me and they're being uh, disrespectful by copying my brands, not giving me the proper credit due for basically, uh, you know, expanding their brand and making their brand grow. Yeah, clothing is uh, such an interesting space. And uh, and on that same topic of clothing, I don't know if you saw this, but that Patagonia billionaire, it was the uh, Patagonia billionaire co-founder. He actually gave away the company. And the reasoning that he gave is to fight climate change. So this is a really interesting topic. Uh, so Patagonia is one of these companies that... Uh, for those of you who don't know, they're very similar to North Face in that they mostly make outdoor apparel, apparel uh, that's geared towards like skiers, snowboarders, and hikers. Um, it's an outdoor brand, I would say. It's comparable to Yeti and a very comparable, I actually would say more so comparable to North Face and Columbia. But they're very like kind of woke. So a lot of people, they wear these Patagonia vests, myself included. I like them. They're very comfortable. Um, they're very well made. Uh, but a lot of people wear these vests, and it's like a finance bro thing. And as a finance bro, obviously, you know, I have a few of these vests. But the thing is that they typically will get these vests embroidered. So like Goldman Sachs will get them, Bank of America, City, Deutsche Bank, you know, JP Morgan, hedge funds, private equity firms, etc. So they'll get these vests and they wear it and then they wear like a nice button down shirt or whatever. So Patagonia stopped actually making these vests like in terms of custom orders from anyone that, uh, you know, actively deals with oil and natural gas companies. So they're very like politically active and they kind of want to stop people from, you know, doing anything with that. But I will tell you this, which is kind of crazy, is that this guy, for him to give away the company to you know, quote unquote, fight climate change. I think it's um, I think it's just a PR stunt personally. Um, so there are these things that maybe actually I'll, I want to hear your opinion on this and then I'll tell you the secret, which is what I think is really going on. And this is something I'm a little bit more privy to because I'm sort of involved in the, like the financial space more so on this side. 
Um, and I've dealt with this in, in the past, particularly with clients that are like ultra high net worth. So I'd say uh, net worth of over 50 million or more in terms of liquid assets. And I think I know what's going on. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, though, first about him sort of, you know, giving away the company to fight climate change. Well, you know, I think that the fact that he gave away the company to fight climate change is uh, stupid. And, you know, it's asinine because in essence, I, I don't really believe in climate change, to be totally honest with you. Uh, if you look at the earth from its beginning, the climate has always been changing. It always will be changing. And I don't think humans are basically changing the climate. I think the climate is changing naturally. And I don't think there's enough evidence to support that humans are changing uh, the climate through their policies. And this goes back to this whole climate change fiasco. I blame it on one person and one person alone who basically was able to galvanize troops and, you know, gain public support for this uh, idiocracy uh, theory of climate change. And that's Greta uh, Thunberg. And what about Al Gore? No, Al Gore was like I, I the first guy to propose Greta, Greta Thunberg. I'm sorry. No, no, Greta is definitely, you know, she's definitely the one that, you know, was able to galvanize the troops here. The, she was going like, how dare you? You have stolen my dreams in my childhood. And played that a lot on of the people, show. you know, that. they took what she was. I know she was they, a lot of these people took what she was saying at uh, at face value and they're not looking at, you know, why she was saying this. And a lot of these scientific studies, they're not as clear cut as people would like them to be. And, um, you know, there's there's clearly motivations to push the climate change narrative. You know, you basically limiting the fertilizer that a lot of these countries are able to um, have and thus their food production uh, goes down. Thus, they have to become reliant on uh you know, the UN and other countries that basically get access to food. So a lot of people, you know, the UN might want to have uh, countries relying on them, third world countries relying on them. And I just think this whole climate change narrative is just, you know, blown out of proportion. And, and you know, I think people that believe in this climate change narrative and they believe that the world habitable in 10 years, I think they should see a psychologist. And I think they should see a therapist because, you know, clearly they're living in a state of delusion and, you know, they're reading these uh, IPCC reports from the UN and they're accepting these opinions from these organizations and they're accept and they're um, accepting arguments from uh, levels of authority and they're not questioning that authority and they're not looking at analyzing the data themselves. And I think, you know, they should analyze the data themselves and they shouldn't be uh, sheep going around and they should, you know, understand what's going on in reality. Because basically every climate change report is out there that uh, somebody can produce. I can produce a report that says the opposite thesis. So I think it's whole, a whole bunch of crock of shit. And I think this guy that's donating his company for, um, you know, Patagonia, who's donated his company to fight climate change. I think he basically drank the Kool-Aid. All right. So this is one thing I wanted to tell you. You spoke about the UN and a couple of these other like sort of I guess you could say globalist organizations um, that are looking to fight or stop climate change. Uh, so you mentioned about production and sort of putting the world in a place where they would become reliant on the UN or any of these like global organizations. So I don't know if you know this, but the U.S. government, you could fact check this in real time. Um, the U.S. government actually subsidize, subsidizes farmers to not produce more than a certain amount of crops each year. So they actually actively give farmers money to not produce a surplus. 
of food. How crazy is that? Yeah, I did. I did know that. Do you do you know why they uh, subsidize these farmers to uh, not produce food? Why? Because why they're they worried about the uh, they're worried about the cows basically releasing the methane gas and farting. That's what it is, or are they concerned that uh, prices will come down and then the consumer will end up having all the leverage because Maybe of the ex- because of the excess supply on the market. Maybe that's the case. You know, you see a lot of these people buying up farmland and, and you know, uh, basically controlling the supply of food. Maybe it's because, you know, some of these people want us to go vegan and they don't want us to eat real food and they want us to eat this artificial food. That's possible. Do you know what a DAF is or no? Don't give a fuck. <laughs> no. So a DAF is a good guess. A DAF is a donor advisor fund, okay? So this is some some fucking crazy shit that 99% of people don't know about. So for this guy to like, quote unquote, give away his company, right? Okay. So great example of this is Bill Gates. So Bill Gates, obvious, Bill Gates has this thing and it's called like the giving pledge or whatever. And it's for other billionaires to join it. They say, yeah, I'll do the giving pledge, blah, blah, blah. And they pledge their assets to the Gates Foundation or to whichever 501c3 it's directed towards. And in in doing so, they pledge their assets to be given to, let's say, the Gates Foundation. Let's use Warren Buffett as an example, okay? So Warren Buffett pledged like a portion of his assets to go to the Gates Foundation after his death. So what happens is he actually gets an immediate tax break and he retains ownership of these assets in the form of this is a DAF where let's say Buffett gives away $30 billion to the Gates Foundation. He gets a certain amount of that 30, 30 billion. I, I think I said million, but 30 billion. I'll correct myself. Yeah, you can deduct up to uh, 60% of your AGI yes. on, on, on a donor yes. advice fund. Exactly. So he's able to reap the reward of an immediate tax benefit while maintaining ownership of the assets during the time of his life. And now what happens is he gets that tax break, but this is where it gets tricky is with DAFs, they have to pay out. It's I think they have to have 5% payouts, but what they do is they do it in the form of salaries so they can just pay themselves. So it's this whole weird thing where they get the tax break and then every year they're able to recoup some of the money in the form of paying themselves a salary. So it gets really weird and it's basically just a giant tax loophole and it's a sham because people will set up these like fake charities to put their money there. So they get the tax break and then they're paying it to themselves on the back end. And it's this weird shell game that they play, but it's all for show. It's all bullshit. They don't really care about actually solving any problems. They just want the immediate tax break and then be able to shelter their assets. So the, there really isn't uh, any situation of them paying, paying some type of like estate tax, right? Because right now the estate tax is um, $24 million, uh, for, you know, married people. And it's uh, $12 million for individuals. So it, it's just about sheltering income is, is pretty much what it is. So for this guy, I, in my opinion, what I think he did is I think he underwent and set up a DAF. He gets his immediate tax break because he is a billionaire. He probably has a large amount of embedded gains or embedded income that he's going to have a big tax bill on. 
makes sense. We're closing in on the end of the year. He'll get this done. The deadline to do a DAF uh, is the 31st, so you have to file. It's it's December 31st, I should clarify. So, you know, he, he's like two months out pretty much. Like he, he's basically two and a half months out, two months out from this deadline. It's very uh, coincidental he's doing it now. He also might file quarterly. So that's another big thing people got to realize. So, yeah, I think the timing is uh, very coincidental. I think he's doing it for tax break uh, purposes, and it remains to be seen. But we'll see what happens. I think he's uh, almost certainly doing it for tax break. So, Yeah, you said before how they had how a donor revised fund um, has to donate a certain percentage of their assets per year. That's actually not true. That's, that's one of the benefits of a donor revised fund, that they have no minimum distribution limit per year. They only have to donate, I think, like $50 every three years for the donor advised fund to stay open. So they don't have a minimum distribution limit for a donor advised fund. That's why a lot of these billionaires lose donor advised funds versus um, – I thought it was 5%, other, and then yeah, what they do is they just do it a salary and like administrative? Uh, for, for a donor advised fund, there's, there's no minimum uh, distribution per year. You just need to donate like $50 in a three-year span. Um, and that's just for the sponsor to keep you open because like you have to have a sponsor for the fund. And if you don't donate like $50 or whatever in the three years, the sponsor, you can't get a sponsor. So there's basically no minimum distribution for a fund. And that's why a lot of these billionaires, they use donor advised funds versus other, um, charitable tax vehicles. That's like the huge benefit. Oh, that makes sense. I just looked it up. It says, are DAFs required to make annual distributions? Unlike private foundation, DAFs are not required to make annual distributions. In order to avoid excise taxes, a private foundation is required to make minimum distributions each year equal to approximately 5% of fair market value of the assets. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. So the 5% is for private foundation, but that does not pertain to DAFs. That is so interesting. So something like the Clinton Foundation, hypothetically, of, of course, allegedly in a vacuum, <laughs> if they were a private foundation that was not a DAF, they would have to pay out 5%. But in which case, hypothetically, of course, you could just pay out to yourself in the form of like administrative or a salary, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think it has to go to a charitable purposes. I think it gets audited where the money's going. Like you have to donate at least 5%, um, to a charitable purpose and like an outside third party is supposed to independently review that and make sure it's going to, um, like a charitable use. And like the IRS is very stringent when it comes to these, uh, charitable organizations and they review where the money's going. So I think, you, you know, you can't be using it for salary purposes. I think the IRS, um, won't classify as a charitable organization if you do that. And I think you you might have problems. Yeah, the IRS is not going to be too happy with that if you uh, go about doing things that way, especially now that they're armed and, and ready to go. They're armed and dangerous, as Pop Smoke would say. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, the, very interesting. It's becoming more totalitarian. And speaking of totalitarianism, uh, I know your boys over in China, they've been doing some shit. We were talking a little bit about climate change, but you mentioned something about them using these uh, – paint brushes or something they're painting these mountains what the hell is going on with that yeah you you would almost think they're um you know tom sawyer the way the way they're painting and you know basically they um these chinese officials right in uh, fuman county there was a lot of public 
um, backlash and outlash that there was a lot of dust in these mountains and that, you know, the mountains weren't pleasing and that there was um, a lot of pollution going on. So what these Chinese officials did in Chinese uh, Yunnan province, which is Y-U-N-N-A-N, if you want to look it up, they basically painted the entire uh, mountain green and like Tom Sawyer painted his fence. And, you know, this is just crazy to think about it. They spent $51,000 or basically 400,000 won on this project. And it's just weird to me why they would paint um, this mountain called La Chau Mountain. And it's just awfully weird why they did this. And they did this to basically keep the public happy and think that they're making environmental changes while they're at large, that they're taking climate change more serious and that they're trying to get rid of the dust. And they did this to basically painting the mountain instead of doing the right thing and basically planting more trees and planting real trees. They basically, you know, painted these fake trees on the mountain. And it's just awfully odd why they would do this. And I think, you know, when you do something like this, you get, it's going to come back to you tenfold. And, and, you know, because mother nature, they always know the truth and you can't, fool around with mother nature and you know i think like this and playing with mother nature you play with mother nature and mother nature is going to hit you back 10 times harder yeah this is some pretty bizarre shit i'm reading about it now i'm even seeing an article in the guardian from 2007 it says china takes diy approach to mountain greenery it looks like they painted this uh quarry green doesn't make any sense uh <laughs> It says the mountains exposed rock covered in artificial green, the yeah. color of astroturf, looms over houses against the scrubby background. Uh, yeah, in this case, they're saying it, at least in 2007, this was one paint job they did. This was about 32,000 euros. And it says it quoted villagers as saying that if spent on plants and trees, the money could have restored a far greater area of barren mountain. Interesting. So this is an area that yeah, I mean, this is common. They're having a large as, amount of heavy, as you said. heavy flooding here, too. A lot of flooding in that region of China. Yeah, I mean, this is very common, what they did. You know, they did it in 2007. They're doing it today. They're doing – they do this a lot, you know, and it's just, like, awfully strange why they would um, do something like this. I think the money could be better used towards either planting trees and doing other stuff. I think they do this, you know, to prevent – um, outside countries and outside, you know, political influence from getting involved um, in their gov in their government and you know their factories and trying to regulate them through like political pressure, because uh, you hear that a lot about like oh China is not um, environmentally friendly and I think like if they paint these mountains greens and they and they have pictures like you know they could kind of combat that narrative and say oh look at our you know nice mountains look at our nice trees like we're very environmentally friendly we have you know nice oceans and we have nice trees nice mountains we have nice scenery and you know meanwhile it's not really genuine and besides painting they also put down like um these kind of like tarp nets that have like bushes on them like fake bushes and it's just like a lot of weird stuff that they're doing here and these projects they're not cheap like they're like a hundred thousand dollars per project and these projects are happening all across china like it's not an isolated incident like you know i mentioned that mountain you mentioned that other mountain, like these projects are happening all over the place. And like there's millions and millions of dollars being spent on this kind of like fake environmentalist in China. Yeah, that's really and weird. The, uh, and that's the problem that's you get into when, you know, you try and like pressure people. You go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say it's really weird. Like I don't understand why would you spend money painting when you could spend like 
a tenth of the money or a quarter of the money actually planting trees. It, it's not expensive to, to plant fucking trees. Mr. Beast did that whole thing where, remember, he was planting a tree for, every, it was like every dollar donated or something. What was that? It was like Team Trees. He planted like 12 million trees in like two years or some shit, right? Yeah, and then like Elon Musk donated to it or something like that once he heard about it. Like a lot of people donated to it. Yeah, he printed he uh you know planted a lot of trees uh it was called i'm not sure how many trees it was i'm not sure how many trees it was you said it was like 10 million trees um that makes sense but mr beast did it like he look he cares way. about the environment sorry, right now i'll tell you like, right now like that besides team trees didn't he also do team seeds he did a lot of things yeah, clean the garbage seeds. in the ocean like mr beast is he's a good environmentalist yeah i mean i'm on their website now teamtrees.org you guys could donate if you want and they'll uh, plant trees. It's pretty cool. It's for every dollar, by the way. One dollar plants a tree. They did um, 23,967,767 trees have been planted. So that's pretty amazing. And I'm looking at the leaderboard here. Uh, Elon Musk planted a million trees. Benioff, 900,000. Plants vs. Zombies. That's the video game. Half a million. Uh, Scott Chacken, 250,000 and one tree. Susan with Jackie, 200,000. Jack Dorsey, 200,000. Jack Dorsey again. This was two days earlier, 150. BitCasino.io, 101,000. Sneaker Trees, a foundation with soul, 100,000. Discoveries in there. Mr. Beast did 100,000. Another 100,000. We got Verizon in here. PewDiePie, of course, 69,420 trees. What a legend. You know, we got some good stuff in here. Good people. But yeah, anyway, um, pretty uh, pretty cool. But yeah, no, 23 million trees, basically 24 million trees. I'm sure he'll hit that uh, pretty soon. But nonetheless, that's still pretty cool. And I think it's a registered 501c3, so you actually get the write-off for uh, donating to this. So it's worth looking into. Um, looks like they planted some trees in Haiti, California, British Columbia, Arkansas. They did a million. Florida, close to a million. Haiti, one. 1.1 million, Montana, Michigan, Nicaragua, wow, North Carolina, Oregon. This is good stuff, you know. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Virginia, Washington State, Madagascar, Kenya. That's good. Mozambique, 1.2 million. This is good stuff, you know. They're doing some good stuff for the environment. They're uh, trying to build a better world. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to build a better world and we're trying to enlighten people and teach them shit that they might not know in the form of uh, sound financial advice and uh, sound reactions to financial news. So if you like to see more of that, be sure to hit that follow button. Be sure to click that thumbs up motherfucking button and watch our clips at the Anonymous Investors Podcast on YouTube. And be sure to go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere where you listen to podcasts and give us a listen and give it a rating because we need more ratings. We have some good amount of ratings on Spotify and Apple, but we can use some more because that pushes us in the algorithm. So be sure to help out, join the cause, and thanks again.